special Sundays on the Christian calendar, if you will. Though every Sunday should be special and every day should be special in that we look to glorify the, our Lord Jesus Christ. And, um, but if we look, there are certain points in the year that we indicate as special because they mark certain events, whether it be Christmas, whether it be Easter, whether it be Pentecost, we look at for a special message from the Word of God. Amen? Well, today's one of those specials, again, that we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. And we, as part of the Assemblies of God, uh, as a denomination, for no other choice, better choice of words, we are a Pentecostal church. We still believe in the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our local assembly, and in the church as a whole. Amen? We look at his influence, his gifts, and his power, his anointing are still available to us today. It is for you, your children, and all who are to come. That's what it said in, Acts, in the book of Acts. So we are those who are to come. We still believe in the influence of the Holy Spirit. So this morning and into next week, I look, like to look at three things. I had three things for this morning, but again, we'd be here till 3 o'clock, and we have a picnic to go to. Amen? But I'd like to look at three things, three very simple words that take on so much truth and so much deep meaning um, when it comes to the Holy Spirit and his influence on the church. And these three words are in, with, and through. Do you hear me? In, with, and through. So we're going to look how the Holy Spirit works in a believer or bringing someone to, to faith with the believer as we make our walk of sanctification and through the believer, which we'll look at next week. So this morning I want to look at the influence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer and how he works with us. And we'll see that the only conclusion we can make, the only conclusion that we will have is that the Holy Spirit's influence and power in our own individual lives and in the church are of strictest importance. We can't do this. We cannot walk the walk as Christians without the power of the Holy Spirit within us. A church cannot survive if the Spirit of God does not move through that church. The Word of Christ will not come alive to you if it's not through the power of the Holy Spirit illuminating that truth. And I got ahead of myself a little bit. But before we get into this, I'm always compelled to lay some groundwork before we get into any further discussion of a basic understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. So for some of us, it may be review. For some of us, it may be an eye-opener as we talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. But I have this. We never want to build a house without having a firm foundation. And sometimes we may have to go back and look at the plans during the building process. So though we may be very familiar with some of the things we talk about today, we're looking back at the plans to reinforce how to lean on the Holy Spirit in our life. So very simply, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? Well, he is the third person of the Trinity, along with the Father and the Son. Do you hear me? And as I've said before in previous studies, we have to get rid of some misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. He is not some inanimate force like we see in the Star Wars movies. He is a person. He is the third person of the Godhead. Amen? And I think some of the other problems that may interfere with our, our ideas about the Holy Spirit is that as finite people, we can think about and have relationship to someone we call the Son or someone we call the Father because we have those relationships in our own families, in our own lives. But when it comes to the Spirit, it's kind of abstract, so we really don't understand. And we think of that as a force or something out there that can't be touched. Well, the Holy Spirit is in fact a person, not a force. And if we look at the Scriptures, we can back this up and see that the Holy Spirit has all the aspects of personality, all the things that even modern psychologists or, or people would say, that they said, this is what makes up personality, intellect, will, and emotion. So if we look at, into the scriptures at the Holy Spirit, we see that he does have all those attributes of personality. He has intellect, he has will, and he has emotion. Let me just give you a few scriptures as far as intellect. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. We're going to talk about that later. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He knows. 
He has intelligence. He knows the deep things of God. And trust me, guys, we don't know the deep things of God. Only God himself does. Amen? And then listen to uh, John 14, 26. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. He has intellect. He knows. He teaches. He has intelligence. That's an aspect of personality. And then if we look, he also has emotions. Listen to Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. He grieves. He has emotion. And in Romans 15.30, says, I urge you, brothers, and by the, our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, by the love of the Spirit to join me in the struggle praying to God for me. So he loves. He grieves. And I could go through many more scriptures, but for time's sake, I'm giving you a couple on each one. So he knows, he teaches, he has intellect. He grieves, he loves, he has emotion, and he also has will. Uh, he, the Holy Spirit, right? Listen to this, Acts 13, 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit directed, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them to. So under the direction, under the will of the Holy Spirit, he sets apart Barnabas and and Saul. And in Acts 16.6, it says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, kept by, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in Asia. So it's the Spirit of God who keeps Paul from going to those regions and says, no, I want you to go to Macedonia. So the Holy Spirit has intellect, he has will, he has emotion. He has all the aspects that we would say are of a person. And let me ask you a question. Who directed Jesus into the desert? The Holy Spirit. So again, showing his, um, his will. The Spirit of God. He directs, he leads, he hinders, he has intellect, he has emotion. He, the Holy Spirit, has all the attributes of personality and is the third person of the Trinity, which actually leads me to my next point. All right? He is, in fact, the third person of the Godhead. Therefore, he has all the non-attainable attributes of God. We are made in God's image. We have certain attributes that we can attain. We can love, we can grieve, we can do those things, some of those things that God can do. But there are certain things, attributes of God, we can't do. We are not omnipresent. We are not omnipotent, and so some people think they are. And we are not omniscient, which some people think they are, right? We are not all knowledgeable, we are not everywhere present, and we are not all powerful. Those are things that only are of God. So we see that in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. It's, he was there at the creation of all things in Genesis 1 and 2. It's the Holy Spirit who's at work with the Father and the Son to create. Why? Because he's all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere present. And if we read, he raises the dead. Listen to what it says in Romans 8.11. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because the Spirit who lives in you. So he's all-powerful. He was there at creation. He has the power to raise the dead. He has the power of life. He's omnipotent. He's also omnipresent. Listen to what it says in Psalm 139, 7-10. And this should be a blessing for all of us. All of us. Listen. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. No matter where we are, what test or trial, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within us as Christians. And he never leaves us. He's everywhere present. Now, that could also be kind of convicting, church, when you think you want to stray from the path because he's right there to say, get back on the path. All right? He keeps us back on. Yeah, I know my wife's left. Yes, it's good when the Holy Spirit twinges you and, and kind of gets you to get back on the path. Amen? All right, look, he's also omniscient. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 10b to 11. It says, the Spirit... Again, searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of God? He's all-knowing. God knows all things. Uh, Holy, God the Holy Spirit knows all things that God the Father and God the Son know. So he's got all the aspects of personality. 
He's a person, and he has all those non-attainable aspects of God. He is God, the third person. Amen? Praise God. And you know what's cool? And this is not even in there. That third person dwells within us. Dwells within us. That's how we can do and be the life as a Christian. That's how we can do and be the life as the church. That's how those our brothers and sisters, and I'm way off tangent here, in the Middle East, can go through what they go through because the power of God lives within them and gives them the grace at that time of testing to endure. How I couldn't do that, to watch my family slaughtered if not for the grace of God and to have such a countenance like Stephen, such a countenance that it just proclaims that our faith is in the risen Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. And family... We see the Holy Spirit is not only associated with the Father and Son, but he also demonstrates all those attributes, yes? And uh, being that the Holy Spirit, with all the attributes of God, we will see that this will be very important and comforting as he does his work in us and with us. Amen? So let's move on and look at his initial role, actually in his role in the New Testament church. But for time's sake, go through the Old Testament and you will see the Holy Spirit at work right from Genesis, right to Malachi. So it's not, the Holy Spirit is not just a New Testament idea. He's been at work right through all the scriptures, really right through all the scriptures because he's the one who helped inspire the writing of scriptures. So with that said, please turn to John 16, 5 to 11, and let's see what his initial work is in the life of a believer. John 16, verses 5 to 11. John 16, 5 to 11. Jesus says, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. And I remember my pastor teaching me, the reason Jesus is saying that, Jesus, when he walked as a man, was in one place. The Holy Spirit will be everywhere. Everywhere, right? Unless I go away, the counsel will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes... He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is going to convict? What it means is this, that he's going to show the offender, show the sinner, the shortcomings before a holy God so that they can see themselves as they really are. Because no man, no woman will ever come to Christ, will ever come to salvation faith, if they first don't see that they have transgressed the holy law of God. They have to, we first have to see ourselves as sinners. In the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, right? Because they've seen, they understand now that they're sinners and they mourn before a holy God because they realize that they're separated because of their sin. Alrighty? So people don't see themselves as wretches and transgressors of God's law, warranting condemnation in hell. Quite the contrary. Talk to most people and they think they're good people. We're okay. Everything's all right. I'm religious. I'm moral. I do the right thing. Do I mess up here and there? Sure I do. But a loving God would never condemn me to hell. But it has nothing to do about works. It has nothing to do about religion. It has to be that we've sinned against the holy God. And that's the pretense for our judgment. Not our works, not our religion, not our denomination. So what the Spirit of a God does is convict people so they see, in fact, see themselves as sinners and transgressors of God's law. A person will never admit by looking in the window and saying, I've sinned against the holy God and I, I deserve hell. Very rare. And then the Holy Spirit also convicts the world in regard to righteousness. And this is it. His purpose here is to shatter the pretense of self-righteousness. It says no one is righteous, no, not one. So what the Holy Spirit again does shows that we are not righteous before a holy God. And what we need is the righteousness of God imputed to us because we can't attain it on our own. And that's what happens through the cross. When Jesus died on the cross and we put our faith into him for the redemptive work, he imputes his righteousness to us. And now the Father sees us as righteous because of who we are in the Son. So he's going to convict the, girl, the world of that self-righteous attitude that they can make their way to God in some other way besides the cross. 
And then third, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of guilt in regard to judgment. Very simply, church, there's going to be a judgment for everybody. For the Christian, it's the Bema seat where we'll stand before the Lord and we will be awarded for our faithfulness. But for those who don't believe, they will stand at the white throne judgment and be condemned to an eternal lake of fire. You may not hear that in a lot of churches because they don't talk about hell. <gasps> oh, we can't talk about people going to hell, but there's a choice. There are two camps. Put your faith in Christ on your way to heaven. Reject Christ and you'll stand in condemnation in the lake of fire. So he's going to convict the world and say, you have no more excuse. My son has come. He's finished the work. Faith into him grants you eternal life. If you choose to reject, here's the opposite. And that's what he comes to do. Convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. Now, if a person responds to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he's then, the Holy Spirit is involved in the conversion of that person. In other words, it's that whole interaction with Nicodemus. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, and Jesus says, you have to be born again. Now, here's an intelligent man. He says, I can't enter my mother's womb again. He goes, you got it wrong. You must be born again of the Spirit so that when the Holy Spirit comes and we respond by faith into the redemptive work of Christ, the Spirit of God now indwells and changes us into a new creation. We are born again, spiritually alive. That old man is dead. And as I was going through my notes this morning, you know what, Wes? You're not... People are not recovered alcoholics. They're new creations in Christ. They're recovered sinners. They're new creations. They're not that person anymore. They don't have to give in to those bents of sin anymore because the power of God lives within them to overcome. Amen? Whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's infidelity, you name it. If we put our faith in God, we can overcome our bents of sin if we surrender to the power of God and believe. And believe. Amen? It doesn't have to own us. Praise God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Many of you could quote it. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. We always quote that, but look. The old has gone. The new is come. And as new creations who have been justified and have received the righteousness of Christ, we are now reconciled and at peace with God. The old is gone. It doesn't have to own you. You have choices. And when we surrender, as we go through this, you'll see as, as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in those times of temptation, we can overcome it. We can. Amen? And listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. It says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Our sins are not counted against us. We're new creations with the power of God to overcome. Amen? Praise the Lord. And that, now that the Holy Spirit has convicted us by faith, we have responded and by conversion has taken place. We're born again. We're new creations. And the Holy Spirit begins to work with us. Yes, he's working in us, but he works with us. And we can live the sanctified life. But you see, it's a two-part. The Holy Spirit's in us to work in us and with us, but we have to respond. When he convicts, we have to walk with him and do what he says. Amen? We can't just say, okay, we, you know, we're not robots. He wants to work with us as we change and conform to the image of God. Amen? So let me begin with an, an analogy here, a sports analogy. And Tim, oh, he's in the back. Timmy, you'll like this one. The Giants, they just drafted Shaquan Barkley, Yes? Probably one of the best running backs to come out of college. He's going to be phenomenal. I know it's Giants fans. We're excited. But listen, he's got to come and learn the Giants strategies. He's going to get a playbook, which he's going to have to study so that he knows what to do. He's going to have to listen to his coaches so when he gets on the field and he's going to have to practice so when he gets into a real game, he can apply it and do what he's got to do. Do you hear me? As great a talent as he has, if he doesn't get the scheme of the team, he's going to be functionless, all right? Because who, we're going to have to see that someone's going to open a gap, a hole that he's going to run through. Is he in a passing route? Things that he has to do on the field. But he's got to learn the playbook, know what to do, right? They're laughing at me because I love football. Know what to do and then apply it on the field. So guess what, Christian? You and I, when we place our faith in Jesus, we're on God's team now. 
and he has given us a playbook to read and study, and it's provided a very good coach. Matter of fact, it's the coach who inspired the writing of the book. So he's given a coach to indwell within us, but we have to read the playbook and listen to our coach so that we get into the game called life, we can apply it and do it God's way and not in the way of the flesh. Amen? Praise the Lord. Family, God has given us his written word that is inspired by God as men carried along through the Holy Spirit. And look, it's to reveal who God is. Now, I'm telling you, Mike, you're going to be blessed, and we're probably going to show it here. The Holy Scriptures reveal the transcendent God to man. Do you understand that? God shows himself and reveals himself in this book to man. It's an inspired word of God. He didn't have to do that. But out of his love, he inspires it, and he gives us the word. And then it also shows us our plan for salvation for humankind, that we transgressed, but he made the way to reconcile man to himself. And then the third thing it does, it tells us how, how to live a life as a result of our relationship with him. This book is to be used to sanctify us. As we read it, we are molded and we apply it, we, we are molded into the image of Christ. Now, this, this is a simple summation of the Bible, but it's that simple. Who God is, the salvation plan, and what he wants from us. It's real simple, all right? So with all the theologians out there, a simple man is giving you the breakdown of the Bible. And family, now that we are indwelt, filled with the Spirit, and we have our coach, our counselor, who will illuminate the truth of God's word to us, He's going to show us the game plan, the playbook, so that we can apply it to life. Listen to what John, again, John 16, 13 and 14 says. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. Do you hear me? He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. It's the Holy Spirit who's going to illuminate the truth of these words so that we understand it. And then 2 Corinthians 2, 10b to 11 says this. We read it before. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Now, the Spirit searches the deep things of God. Listen to me carefully. We have to understand there's no adjective in front of the word deep in the original Greek. Ready? Listen. It's not the deep things, but the deeps of God. Do you hear me? Listen. And it refers to the unsearchable deep fathoms, deep things, deep things that man does not have access to because we can have access to because of our finite, limited minds. But the Holy Spirit searches those deep things that are at the heart of God, the will of God, and illuminates that truth to us as humans, things that we can't understand he shows us. Do you hear me? It's a blessing that the, we, the Spirit of God will show us and teach us the deep things of the Word that He's given to us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1.18 to 25. And let me start with this. For the message of the cross, it says, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. They, someone who's not filled with the Spirit of God cannot understand what happened at the cross cannot understand the resurrection and what it means. But Christian, because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Scriptures to read, the Holy Spirit illuminates it to you that you can truly understand what happened at the cross of Calvary, that Jesus Christ took our sins and that in him we receive the righteousness of God. And in the resurrection we have a hope unto eternal life. The world can't know that. And they think it's foolishness to think that some guy rose from the dead and people put their faith in him. And this DVD shows how many things they come up with, foolish ideas to refute the resurrection. Foolishness. Foolishness. The Spirit searches the deep things of God so that we can understand them. Listen, um, and let me go on with uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. That was 18. Look at 19. It says this. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the wisdom of this world foolishness? Man will come up with all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of ideologies, all kinds of psychological garbage, jargon. And here is everything that every human being needs emotionally, physically, spiritually. Amen? Yeah, 
in the Word of God. But they make up all other ideas and why? So they don't have to be accountable to a holy God. Read Romans 1. So, I have down here family. We're blessed. Blessed to understand. Blessed that the Spirit of God lives in us and opens up the truth of Scripture. And I have this Scripture verse. This is what he will, does for us. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says we, the Word of God is good for teaching. It teaches us what God wants us to understand about him, about our relationship with him, and how to live. It rebukes us when we're doing something wrong. It says, er, put the brakes on, Rob. You need to be doing this, not this. It corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness so that we're equipped for every good work. So as we get into the Word of God, it's going to teach us, correct us, rebuke us, and train us to be the people of God that he wants us to be. Amen? Amen. And let me move on from here and say that the knowledge of God's Word isn't for knowledge's sake. Hear me out. We don't just know to know. We know to apply. We come to know the truth of God's Word to make application. What good is it if we just know something and put it on a shelf? The Lord wants us to take it and apply it to our lives. Do you hear me? Just like the athlete who studied the system and is put into the game and is expected to produce, so the Lord is training us in his word so that when we get into the game of life, we will produce what he wants from us in our life and through the fruits of the Spirit. Amen? And so the Holy Spirit is training us. And the Lord puts us into the game of life with all its twists and turns, with all its ups and downs, so that we are molded into the image of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's called progressive sanctification. We're going through the process, and he's sanctifying us for the number one goal, so that we become more like Jesus. So everything we go through, guys, and I know you know these verses. I've read them probably a hundred times in the last few years. Romans 8, 28 and 29. We know that in all things God works for the good. And I've said it. Are all things good? Absolutely not. But why are those things being worked for the good? In verse 29, to mold us into the image of his Son. The ultimate purpose that the Lord has for every one of us is to become more like Christ. To become more like Christ. Yes, he's got us to witness. Yet he's got us, we'll see next week, to work with, with our gifts and talents within the church. But the number one thing he wants from us is to emulate Christ in our life. Do you hear me? Listen to James 1, 3, and 4, one that we just love to hear. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Oh, they're just so much fun. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish the work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the only way we're going to get rid of the dross, the only way we're going to become more like Christ, is that the Lord works in us and through us to make us like him. And as I've said before, like the master sculptor, he'll start with the big things. Take that big chunk of marble. And off comes alcohol, or off comes drugs, or off comes something else. But then the fine-tuning starts. What about that angry spirit? What about patience? What about having joy? And then he fine-tunes us as we go through different tests and trials of life. Family, God is working all things for good, so we become mature and become more Christ-like. So the Holy Spirit is there with us as we really sojourn through this life. He's with us. He indwells us. He illuminates the Word, and he guides us. All right? And he guides us. The key to is, ready, is to listen to him. Be the kind of player who's going to heed his instructions when the situation arises, whether it be temptation, test, or trial. Listen to the voice of the Spirit within you. That's why we get in here and we study the Word so we can draw from it and illuminate the truth. So when the situation comes we can deal with it, whether it's a temptation, whether it is a test, whether it is a trial. And he's right there with us to help us through. Amen? Amen. And the secret in doing this is very simple. If you're willing to apply it, and it's this, Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So as we walk alongside with the Spirit and apply the Word of God, less and less our flesh will be an influence. Amen? And that's why in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. And when he directs our paths, we're on the right path. Even though we may not think we are, we're on the right path. Amen? The idea, listen to me, 
is to surrender and walk with your comforter, your counselor, your coach, if you'll listen to him and be taught. Now, at the same time the Spirit of God illuminates these things, he's also removing the silver and draw, uh, the dross from the silver in us, right? So not only is he getting us to go in a direction, but at the same time, he's getting us to purge those things that affect our lives. Sometimes it's called repent and replace, put on, put off. Read Ephesians chapter 4. Steal no longer, do something useful with your hands. Don't let the unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building others up. So we repent and replace. He wants to get rid of the garbage and make you more like Christ. Amen? And as we do this, we will bear the image of Jesus Christ as we surrender. Now, so as we walk in the Spirit, through all the tests and trials, this is what he's trying to develop in us. Turn to Galatians 5, please. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. This is where he's taking you, because these are Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. There's no law against these things. And if we were to go on in verses 24 and 25, it says, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, let us walk alongside with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with Him as He's guiding us, as He's teaching us. And let's develop these things in our life, these fruits, because as we do, we become more Christ-like. Amen? So let's, and I said glimpse. We're going to look at a glimpse of these fruits, all right, for time's sake. But if you look, it says, um, through every test and trial, he's trying to develop these fruits, all right? So let's look at the first one, and it's love. And what I want to do is tell you what it is not. It is not eros love. Eros love is that passionate, erotic love that a man feels for a woman, a woman for a man. And let me explain, within the marriage relationship. Got that? It's supposed to be within, that passion that's developed, when they cleave together and become one flesh, the intimacy. And it's not... Phileo love, which is a brotherly love, something we feel when we see a need in another person that we're going to reach out and do something kind, if you will, because we're showing a brotherly love to another human being. All righty? And it's not storge love, that kind of love that you have within a family relationship, uh, children for parents, that familial love, if you will. No, it's not eros, it's not phileo, it's not storge, right? Because these are often driven from passion or an emotional tie concern for the other person or persons. This is not the love that's being referred to here in Galatians 5.22. It is agape love, which we've heard before. It is a sacrificial love, all righty? It's the kind of love, all right, that there is no emotional tie to the other human being. As a matter of fact, it may be another person who has offended you, but you're going to show the type of love that Jesus Christ showed on the cross, it's showing a love to some of that who may not be deserving of it and may not be able to return anything to you. And that's exactly what Christ did on the cross. We were not deserving of his grace and mercy. We were deserving of his judgment wrath. But he came and he went the way of Calvary and demonstrated that kind of sacrificial love so we could be saved. We were not deserving, nor could we give anything back. And he's saying, Christian, that is the type of love I want to see emulated in you. An agape love. Even if someone does you wrong, that you're going to demonstrate the same type of love that my son showed on the cross. And the only way we can do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit, because in and of ourselves, there's no way. Because I know myself, when someone does me wrong, when I was back in the day, I know what I wanted to do, and it wasn't to love them, all right, or do something kind. All right, it's quite the opposite. So that is what agape love is. It does someone no harm. All right, and it actually leads into the next thing, joy. And let me begin by saying this. It's different from happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances or happenings. For instance, I was happy the day I got married. I was happy the day my children were born. I was happy when I saw my son get married because I was emotionally tied to what was going on. So I was happy. Was I also joyful? Yes, but happy. The happiness was based on the event, and it stoked certain emotions. Joy is different. Ready? Listen. It's the knowledge that no matter what the circumstance or event, whether good or bad in the eyes of man, we know that God is sovereign, and he's working everything together for a good, so we can trust him and have the joy of the Lord through it. 
because we know that we know that there's a purpose. Are we happy if we get sick? Are we happy if we lose a loved one? No, but there's a reason that God is using it. We may not understand it until we get on the next side of eternity, but he's using it, but we can have a joyful countenance through it. And we can show that we have a faith in God. And that's what it comes down to, is trusting the one we say we believe in. We don't know. I don't know why. And we may never know why the Lord took Pastor Stein home. We may never know that until we get on the next side of eternity. But he's doing something. He's doing something. All right? And we don't know what it is, and we may not see it until later on. And the one I always go back to is a dear sister from years ago. What a wonderful saint of God. She got cancer. But when she was in the hospital, she witnessed every nurse, doctor, patient, you name it. So who knows that though his dear saint had to go through this, who knows who may have come to faith through her witness. Amen? So God is more concerned about the eternal salvation of souls than about maybe our happiness here on earth, so he may allow us to go through some things. Of course, Christian, we've put our faith in him, and we're saying, Lord, we surrender, and we want to be used by you. And if he takes us through a test, takes us through a trial, where other people come to see Christ in us, praise the Lord if they get saved. Amen? Because guess what? You'll forget about the test and trial in eternity, but that person will be standing next to you in glory. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right, next fruit is peace. And this is very simple. It means peace with God. We were enemies of God, under his judgment wrath. But when we put our faith in Jesus, guess what? We are reconciled to him. We have peace with God and adopted as his children. And we also have the peace of God that no matter what we go through, the spirit of God is with us, and we know that God is sovereignly in control of it. He's in control of the presidents. He's in control of the Kim Jong-uns. He's in control of your boss. He's in control of everything. So as he takes us through this, we can know that he's with us, and there's a reason. And then we can have peace with others. Why? Because we can show that agape love to others no matter what is done. We can show the love of Christ to other people, a sacrificial love, because the Spirit of God lives within us. Amen? Amen. Oh, here comes the fun one. Patience. And I have the first thing is patience doesn't come without adversity. I hate traffic. Sal, I hate traffic. I lose my mind in traffic. And my wife will ask us every time we go, hey, God's working on you. God's working on you. <laughs> Poor Rich had to be subject. We went to the Bronx Zoo. It was a mile to get off the exit ramp. I thought I was going to lose my mind. <laughs> there, was a, there was a cage waiting for me next to the gorillas, I swear. <laughs> but patience. So what is it? Patience in the original Greek takes on two meanings. It means long anger. In other words, it takes some time for the kettle to blow. Not that the Lord wants us to blow, but it, in other words, it isn't that quick knee-jerk reaction of ver- verbal response or physical response. It's taking things in. As James says this, it's quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How quick when somebody says something, we're so fast with a right? And all of a sudden, it's like, can you get that one back? Or back in the day, a physical response. Oh, boy, he fell down. But listen, Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to their anger. A fool, morally depraved, will give full vent to their anger. Where you say something, they blow their cork. And guys, come on. We've been there. We've shot our mouths off and all of a sudden said, I can't believe I just said that to my wife. Right? And then you can't take it back. So you've got to be careful. So patience is that long anger. And listen. It's overreacting in a situation where we say or do something could be, is definitely an offense to God, because we sin against God when we blow our cork. It could be an offense to another person, and it's definitely something we will regret later because of the consequences. Oh, me? I hate going to bed with that infamous meal, cold shoulder. It's terrible. So you don't want to anger your spouse. You want to have kind words and kind actions. Amen? So it's... Uh, Long anger. And then it also means to remain under. And what it's saying is that to remain under a burden, that there are going to be times when there are heavy loads. Anybody ever watch Touched by an Angel? Heavy loads, a good song. But there are going to be times, we live in a sin-cursed world. There's going to be heavy loads, health issues, loss of a loved one, broken relationships. But the Lord gives us the grace and the strength to bear under that heavy load through his power and through his grace. Amen? So 
as we go through it, we show those, and, and these, these fruits are not kind of by themselves. They're kind of intermixed. So as we go through the test and we're going through it, we have the joy of the Lord. We can show that agape love to others. Do you understand? We can have that patience through it. So patience, what it is, it's that either long anger where we don't blow our cork or it's bearing under a burden for an extended period of time through the grace of God. And then there's kindness. And kindness is, is just a sincere happiness for somebody else to do something. Listen, it's kindness is the inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit. All right? I'm on kindness, right? Forgive me. It's a sincere desire for the happiness of others. Kindness is the inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others, whether we know them or not, whether they're our friend or our enemy. Kindness is demonstrating right, the act of love towards somebody, somebody else and meeting that need. When we think of kindness... We think in terms how Jesus was, right? All right, listen. The kindness may be as simple as this. Just being, saying thank you to somebody. When you're in the grocery store and someone's working, you know, I, told, I must have said this 10 times, I hate going into the deli and someone's there like, give me a half a pound of meat. Give me 10 pounds of this. And it's not like, may I please have. Just showing basic human kindness. Or I've had an experience where I'm walking literally 10 feet behind somebody at work and they close the door behind you. Oh, hold the door for somebody. It's an act of kindness. Teresa, there's a, a little old lady. She's got to be, what, 90-something years old, Pina? And she walks to King Collin from where, where I live, walks up and brings back the groceries. And oftentimes, Teresa will run out there, or one of my kids will run out there, and take the groceries for her and carry it to the house. That's an act of kindness. Do you hear me? It's very, very simple. All righty? And listen, it's, kindness is how, really, how love conducts itself. It's how love behaves. It's rooted in that agape love. And if we look through the Gospels, one of the best examples I see is Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. She comes, he asks her for a drink of water, and she's really assertive, aggressive with her in her response, but he is kind to her. He speaks to her because he sees what her deepest need is, and it's the salvation that she needs. So the way he interacts with her draws her into a relationship with him. And not only that, her whole town gets saved through her witness. Now, if Jesus responded differently, like, all right, Samaritan, you're a woman. Hit the road. You're right. I don't want to drink a water from you. I don't even want you touching my glass, which is basically what the normal Jew would do. But no, he's kind to her. She gets saved. The whole town gets saved. Amen? It's that kind of kindness that the Lord wants us to show on others. And listen, at the end of the story, she gets saved and influences on her. The moral of the story is this. One act of kindness can have an everlasting influence on someone. Do you hear me? One act of kindness, and, and um, Ellen said it up here. You never know who's watching that that one act of kindness, someone will see something different in you and want to know where it comes from, and you give them Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, what church do you attend to? Neighborhood assembly or any church, whichever church you go to, right? But it's an act of kindness that can have an impact on others to come to Christ. All right. Next fruit is goodness. And simply, guys, goodness is moral goodness. It's taking the word of God and applying it to our lives in every situation that we become morally good. That's why when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Only God is perfectly morally pure. So goodness is taking those things from the scriptures, applying them out to our lives, getting rid of the dross, becoming more like Christ, and living a morally good life. Not to get into heaven, but so that we reflect the nature of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. It prompts us to walk as a disciple of Christ. We walk the walk. Yes, we walk the walk. And then faithfulness. And this just means to be loyal, constant, staunch, steadfast, resolute. It's a firm adherence, listen to me, to whatever one owes allegiance to. Faithfulness implies unswerving adherence to a person or thing or to an oath promised or vowed. So our faithfulness is this. Lord, we are going to be faithful to your word, faithful to your calling, faithful to applying the principle of this book in our lives. Do you hear me? That's what faithfulness is. It's taking from the word of God and living it. Do you hear me? And it's not only being faithful to the Lord, it's being faithful to each other. In the marriage covenant, in the friendship covenant, in the family relationships, on the job, civil laws, we are faithful in doing what the Lord's called us to do. 
And here it says, obey the civil laws of society. Come on now, how many people are on their cell phone driving? How many people are parking? Oh, I just got to go a little bit to the corner. I'm a little past the sign, but it's okay. Right? He wants us to be faithful so when people see, all right, if I have to drive around the block and park because there's no parking, that may be a witness to somebody that I'm doing the right thing. And why? Because I'm obeying the Lord who says I need to obey the civil laws of society. Right? So we want to put it into action. And the best one I have um, down here, how about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Could you imagine? All they had to do is kind of kneel down before some gold statue. But they were faithful to the Lord. And they said, our God can save us. He is able. But even if he doesn't, we're going to obey and be faithful to the Lord, our God. And they were. And God was faithful and spared them from the fire. Do you hear me? But again, we also have to be faithful to each other. And I, I can only say this. We have to be people of our word. When we give our word, you've got to stick to it. Do you hear me? A handshake in the old days meant it was done. All right? And I've got to say, I'm going to embarrass two of my friends here. I know if Ron or Rich tell me something, they're going to do it. And I don't have to think twice about it because they gave me their word. And you understand? They're men of God. They've given their word, and they're going to do it. So that's the kind of faithfulness we want to show one to another. Church, we are called to be faithful first to the Lord and then to do others. All right, two more, really quick. Gentleness really is strength under control. And how they refer to it sometimes is a horse that's been broken and bridled that all that strength that that horse has, it could do an unbridled horse, an unbroken horse is wild and goes its own way and does its own thing. But one that has been broken is bridled and just a mere steer of a, of a bit can turn the horse. Well, it's the same thing in us. It's controlled strength, all right? It's controlled strength that God is going to use us in situations where we are gentle. We don't respond in anger. We don't respond in certain ways, but we let the gentleness of the Holy Spirit respond through us. And the best example I can give you, remember Jesus before Pilate? Pilate keeps hammering away at him, and he's just gentle in his responses. And when he says, don't you know that I have the power to free you or crucify you? Jesus says, you have no power over me, except that which is given to you by God. Don't you know I could call 10,000 angels? But does he? No. Why? Because then the plan of salvation is over. It's that kind of gentle spirit that the Lord wants us to have in our actions, reactions, and interactions with others. A gentle spirit. And it says what? A gentle spirit turns away what? Wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. That's, and listen, this is a work in progress. Because the worst thing is when we're blindsided. When you're blindsided, all of a sudden you react so quick. But in time, as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, those things will wane away. Amen? All right, let's look at the last one. Last one. Self-control. Hi. Save the best for last. Self-control, yes? It's temperance. It's simply the ability to control ourselves. And what happens is one of the proofs of God's working out alive is if when the Holy Spirit captures our thoughts, our words, our actions, our reactions in situations, temptations, trials, and tests. It's when we put the brakes on and say no to ungodliness and don't let those things of the residual nature of the flesh come forth. So when we're in a heated discussion, do we have that gentle spirit? These things all work together. Do we show that agape love? Do we have that patience? It's that self-control under the power of the Holy Spirit not to respond in our flesh. Amen? So without the power of the Spirit and the knowledge of the principles of God's Word and our misunderstanding of our own bents for sin, we can't have that self-control. What we have to first do is say, Lord, I wrestle with these areas, these areas, these areas. Go to the Scriptures. Work on those areas. Let the Holy Spirit work in and through us so when these things come, we'll be able to control them. Amen? All right. And as we finish up, family, we have to be real with ourselves in identifying our bents for sin so we can put off and put on. Yes? And church, if we take our time to understand and apply these fruits to our lives through the power and strength of our comforter and counselor, then over time, listen, our choices will become habits, our habits will become lifestyles, and that lifestyle will fulfill Romans 8.29. We will be Christ-like. Amen? So for this morning, what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit, when we put our faith in Christ, He will work in us. He will convict us, 
unto conversion. In conversion, we become new creations in Christ. And once he indwells us, he works with us to mold us into the image of his son. So if you like, go home and meditate on Galatians 5.22. He develops those fruits of the spirit in us. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, patience. That's what he's doing in all the tests and trials of life is to develop those fruits in us so that we're more like Christ. Amen? And as we'll see next week, as we emulate Christ, guess what? We will be in a more effective witness. Stay tuned next week. Amen? So we must work, yield to his work and his will through the power of his spirit. One, unto conversion. And then two, to become more Christ-like. So if it's your desire today, I'm going to run a video. If there's something in you where you know you've been wrestling with for years, for time, come today and let the Holy Spirit do a work in you. Do you have difficulty with patience? Do you have difficulty showing that agape love to somebody? Do you have difficulty being faithful in a situation or overcoming like self-control? Any of those fruits we talked about today. If there's something binding you today as we play this, come forward, then the worship team's going to come up and play. Come to the altar. Get along with God and let the Holy Spirit Spirit, just descend upon you and work in you and work with you to overcome so that you become more Christ-like. Amen? Matt, can you fire that up? And let me just close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father God, that you have not left us as orphans. Lord Jesus, when you ascended, you said to go, that you would be the Holy Spirit, the comforter and counsel would come and would fill us and lead us into all truth, that truth of your word that the Holy Spirit inspired, Lord God, so that when we get into it and we, and we read it and we meditate upon it and we apply it to our lives, Lord, we will become more like you. We will be more pleasing in your sight. Lord, you can't love us any more than you do, but we want to become more pleasing in your sight. We want to be those living sacrifices for you, Lord God, so that we become and bear those fruits in our lives, that we would be patient, that we would have that self-control, that we would love like you loved that we would have the joy and the peace through everything we go through, that we would be kind and gentle to others, faithful, Lord, and morally good. Lord God, we want to be like you, Jesus. We sing it in songs, I want to be like Jesus. Well, if that is true, then let us surrender to you, Holy Spirit, and develop those fruits in us. And yes, Lord, we will be tested, but let us always remember that we can have that peace because we know that you're using us using that situation to take the dross out of the silver of our lives and to put back, Lord, the purity of your word and the purity of your spirit. And we just thank you this morning, Father God, and we give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we say, amen. amen. So.